Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm pretty excited because uh, um, we get to talk about the census. Uh, the census. A, 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 a favorite topic of both you and me. Um, yes. Yes. And, and Nina um, Exner, our data librarian, also is a huge fan of the census. She came and visited us before and yes. talked about the census. We may have to ask her back at some point because there's a new census. So I have a question for you, Augie. Yes. How many people live in the United States? Well, according to the United States Census Bureau, 331,449,281 Americans live in our jurisdiction. I, I think it's hilarious that they don't round. <laughs> 449,281. <laughs> Not 280, not 285, 281. Well, as my students can attest, apparently the United States Census Bureau follows my, <laughs> follows my Your logic. Your grading scale. <laughs> my grading scale, because I don't round. <laughs> that's marvelous. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's great because I... I love that they are so specific about a number that is by its nature so approximate. Sure. Like there, there's yeah. absolutely no way that we can really count absolutely everybody who lives in the United States. It just doesn't work that way. Even if we did one giant count off where everybody just yelled one, two, three, all the way around the nation, we still wouldn't get it right because people yeah, will because die and people will be born and because as we've discussed in previous podcast episodes, you know, one of the chief debates that the federal government um, uh, has to address every 10 years is how to do the count, right? right. Because there's so many of us, right? Yeah, see, when I and love the founders, but when they put, when they put, and thou shalt count every 10 years and, and there shall be an accounting, like, I don't know, they didn't write like the King James Bible, but anyway, yes. right, they, they said, you got to count, you got to count everybody every 10 years. There were only about, well, there were less than a million people, right? Like mm -hmm. they didn't, this wasn't a huge hard thing to do. So fascinating to me that they codified it into law not considering that there would be 331 plus because i'm going to round up 300 i'm going to round down actually 331 million of us well yeah that's because, a lot harder to do that's yeah, that's a lot uh, of resources it's a lot of resources and, and again as we've discussed in previous podcast episodes there are a whole bunch of americans who don't want to be counted yes for various reasons Okay. Yes. Okay. They and we're not be... even talking about people who are not here legally who don't want to be counted for legal reasons. We're talking about Americans who don't want to be counted because they don't trust the government or because they don't feel like it or because any number of reasons their religion tells them not to be counted. Like there's yeah. a lot of. Yeah. I mean, 
we Americans, okay, one of our primary values is liberty. Right. Don't tell me I got to do something, right? Exactly. Don't you tell me I have to be counted. Yeah, right. You sit down. <laughs> I'm not being I'm not being counted. Uh-uh. <laughs> so, yeah, I I think that's it's awesome that that there's such a, an attempt made. I'm wondering at what point they're going to outsource that to Google. Because, or Amazon. because I would be willing to bet that either Amazon or Google has a much, much clearer much accounting account, right? of who we, of who's here. But so what do we know? Like, okay. So, so you said something um, at the very beginning, which I want to point out, which is you said preliminary. These yes. are the preliminary results of the census, which, so the census data, I wish that it came out slam all at once, but it doesn't because one, it takes a long time to parse a lot of that data. Um, <clears throat> for people who don't know, the census comes out with a whole bunch of different censuses. There's not just the one of how many people live here. There's how many people live in apartments and how many living people people live in homes that they own and how many people live in homes that they rent and blah 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 that's just housing and then there's there's race questions there's age questions there's educational level questions uh, there's economic. all these right thank you economic questions and all of those census chunks come out slowly over the next say 3 to 4 years what you'll find um, at your local libraries, uh, your local librarians can help you access data information. You can also do that at census, uh, at the census online, um, right? Which is just Google census and it'll come up. Uh, that's the first link you'll get. It is that those things come out as they are processed. So there is not the demographic information that you may be interested for 2020 may not come out until 2022 or 2023, depending on on which part of the census it is and whether they've gotten to it or yet. Because see earlier note, 331 million people that you have to try to classify. Yeah, the census, the census bureau, their first their first report is supposed to be released in January the year after the census okay that's by law right this year it didn't come out until april okay yeah and everybody's saying covid which is probably okay. a legitimate reason we were uh, but, under a worldwide pandemic but there were also delays uh because of the um see previous podcast episode um federal court litigation about the trump administration wanted to include a question of um, uh, are you uh, a citizen of the United States? Right, okay. and we did an episode on that uh, a while back. You can a while back, right? You can find that. So the the first data, the first census report gives us the overall numbers, and the reason why it has to by law is because it affects the apportionment of seats in the House of Representatives. But before we get to that, can we just do some basic rough? Yeah, so are no, we... I mean, I wanted to go ahead and touch upon why they actually oh. release it in chunks. Please excuse the technical language, yeah. right? Okay. Right. The first chunk is because an election's coming up. 
in, in 2022 two, right and people are going to want to know what district they belong to yeah i mean because states are going to have to redistrict according to the census bureau we're going to get another wave of reports in the fall right, right. so more than likely we're going to get the uh demographic breakdown in the fall right but some of these other um variables that, that nia mentioned we may not see them until <laughs> 2022 2023 and at that point the census bureau is already conducting their update surveys because by law they have to go ahead and do a mid-census update every every like five six years right and some of the censuses um some of the census documents like for instance housing comes out every five years yes. but it's in an off year from the year that the population data comes out that's right and that and one of that part of that is because we want to keep the census bureau working all <laughs> the time that's part of it but part of it too is that the sheer amount of data that you're talking about and by the way that data is all open to you free to you you can download it from census and if you can't find a piece of data that you need, it's all public access except any data that would identify a, an individual person. That's right. And by that, I mean, if your census tract has one farm in it, and the Midwest, I'm looking at you, right? Your census tract is your farm. There will be no demographic data that you can find for that because it would be too easy to tell who was who. And again, that's Congress trying to thread the needle right. of being transparent on one hand, but also protect the identity of Americans on the other, because one of the chief reasons I'm, Americans have given to census enumerators, you know, those folks who actually go around and say, you've not turned in your form, okay? Right. But one of the primary reasons that Americans give is that they don't want to have their identi identity known, okay, to the broader public. Right. Okay, to privacy. the broader public. It's a privacy yeah. issue. So, yeah. so they do a lot. They also do some crunching to prevent, uh, while maintaining the percentages properly, but preventing individual um, uh, ethnicities, race religion yes. all of that yep. from coming out so but we know a couple of things right we know yes. are we are we making babies we are not uh the growth rate uh between the 2020 census and the 2010 census was an increase in our population of 7.4 percent that is the lowest increase since the 1930s okay that is the second lowest, if you will, rate of expansion, okay, in, in, the, in the terminology of the Census Bureau um, since the decade of the 1930s. But okay. we're not the only country that's seeing lower birth rates, right? That's a, that's a worldwide. It, it's a worldwide thing. Um, you see this uh, in a lot of uh, uh, Western democracies. So most nations in uh, the European Union are encountering this kind of slow growth rate. Japan has for decades, and most noteworthy, China. China earlier this year announced that its 
unofficial policy of limiting uh, births to two children per family, two children per family, per family um, is now being increased to three because China, okay, is also experiencing uh, a low population growth rate. The, the difficulty for nations, whether we're talking about the United States or other nations, is that we know in terms of economic growth, you need an increase in the birth rate. You need younger people to be in the workforce. Yes, right? And eventually those babies will grow up to be workers. Be, to be workers, <laughs> okay, because- I mean, if you consider them in their most base level, they're humans and that's nice and we love humans, but they're workers. They're workers. And they are going it, to, they're going the to reason contribute why, to the economic yes. prosperity of your nation. Because we want them to get jobs, right? We want them to create cool stuff, right? We want them to go ahead and, you know, process a whole bunch of people, things, etc. But also most countries welfare systems broadly conceived are predicated on having a bunch of people in the workforce to pay for social services social service programs many of which are designed for elderly benefits right okay um elderly beneficiaries right um so we know this on and the other hand if the population growth is too high, then you have a resource issue. And again, right. you want to talk about threading a needle, Nia, okay? If you have, you know, too great a population growth, a nation may not be able to feed its population. Right. Then Houses. you have famine, you have yes. homelessness, okay. you have chronic problems okay. like that within society. Within society. So according to most demographers, okay, the United States growth rate of 7.4% is not high enough, is not high enough, okay? But do you know what it should be? The, or is the that one of those things that they, that they question? Well, the, the, it varies, but... We know this in the United States, we need to have a population growth rate every 10 years of well over 10% simply because, okay, we know a whole bunch of Americans are going to retire soon. The baby boom generation and its echo, basically uh, the generation before us, Nia, okay, are supposed to be retiring soon. Now. Some of them have delayed retirement because of the Great Recession of 2007 to 2009, um, and also the uncertainty of, uh, due to the pandemic. But basically, this decade is where de you know demographers in the United States they have been projecting has been the decade where we're going to see a whole bunch of Americans stop contributing economically. 
because when they retire, they basically stop producing and they basically just become consumers. And I don't mean to be, you know, be, you know, be smirching elderly people, but in terms of economics, if you're no longer working, you're primarily consuming. Right. Right. So that's why you want a birth rate, okay, to be higher. And you want a population growth rate to be higher, particularly, okay, of young, if you will, migrants. Okay, because again, young migrants grow up to be what, Mia? Uh, workers in the economy. Workers in the economy, right? Okay. Well, and I'm assuming that part of the problem now is that now that boomers are reaching retirement age, now is not the time when we want to be, we wanted to be having a lot more babies in the, in the previous 20 years. Yes. So that they would be workers. If we have them now, then we have consumers on the infant side and consumers on the elder side. Because children are consumers too. They're not, I'm not trying yeah. to be ugly. They're not yet workers. And therefore they are consumers, right? They That's are. That's right. So, so the sweet spot would have been about 20 years ago. Yes. If we could have gotten a big giant baby boom. But 20 years ago, we were having 9-11. Yes. Right? And yes. I mean, and then people finished freaking out about that and we had a recession. Like, so, <clears throat> so there's been a lot to suppress the birth rate. And, and then you couple relatively it with, speaking, you couple it with the last two presidential administrations, Obama and Trump, okay, uh, both in their own ways, not the same, but both in their same, <laughs> in their own ways, um, depressed migration into the country. Right. Okay. So we couldn't even replace our are not had babies numbers with immigrant numbers. That's right. Yep. So now I'm assuming that what's happening, at least in some Western democracies in Europe and perhaps eventually in the United States is they are trying to entice working age people, young workers into their countries and, and right, that's part of the to, and that's to and that's naturalize part of, and be part of the economic of, engine. Yeah, that's part of the immigration debate, not only here in the United States, but also in many developed nations. Okay. Um, if you are stopping the in migration of individuals, what's that doing to the economy? Because many businesses are saying we want educated, well-trained. Okay, foreigners to come into our countries, okay, because we have jobs, okay, that need to be filled. Right. Okay. But why do you go ahead and privilege those migrants, but then you don't privilege migrants who want to come to your country because of political persecution, religious persecution, gender persecution, etc. Right? right. Okay. So humanitarian reasons become secondary to economic reasons, right? right. And, and that's part of the difficult immigration debate that many nations, not just the United States, 
let's be very clear, listeners, okay? These are some of the tough questions that nations like in the European Union have, right? Okay. Well, and Japan has this question. And Japan has this question. China other, has this question, right? Okay. You know, other, other nations are grappling with it. And when people say, why can't they just fix immigration? This is why. Because yes. it's more complicated than either throw open the doors or slam the doors shut or build a wall or don't build a wall. Like all of those things, every thread that you pull, you bunch up the sweater on the shoulder of the other side, right? That's Until right. your sweater is so misshapen that you can't, you can't that's flatten right. it out anymore. It, it's and a think really about the fact that we, we moved into a discussion of immigration because it has an impact on population, right? right. I mean, th this is an episode about the census, but one of the reasons it's why the United States population is not growing, okay, is that one, we do have a low birth rate, okay? So of those people here in the United States, we're not having kids, right? We're not all not having kids at the same rates though, right? That is correct. Because yeah. um, some demographics are growing at higher rates than others. Yes. 7% is the average, right? But Yes. I mean, that was the overall percentage increase. But um, um, communities of color are still growing, or excuse me, are growing at a higher rate, not still, but are growing at a higher rate than Caucasians. white communities. Is that yes, correct? Yes, white communities. Yes. Now, we don't have the, the specific numbers on that yet. That's part of the uh, data dump later on this year. So we don't have the precise breakdown and growth okay, within particular demographic groups, okay? But we typically, you know, what typically has happened is that the part of the American population that is not growing is Caucasians, okay? Is not going, is not growing as Caucasians, right? Okay? Which what is one of the things politically that the Republican Party wrote about didn't Reince Priebus write about that about 50 years ago when they did a, not 50, you know what I mean. Uh, it, it, it was uh, after, which loss? After the McCain loss to, yes. to Obama, Obama, right? It was, the, it was the discussion of we need to change the demographics of the party because demographics in the nation are changing. Yeah, because... Um, and, and you and I have discussed this, and I discussed this at length um, in a number of my classes, okay? If you look at the demographics of those who typically support either political party, the Democratic Party should be growing, okay, because of who typically supports the Democratic Party, right? So, I mean, if you think about it, uh, people of color um, in roughly the last... 50 to 60 years have tended to vote, to vote for the Democratic Party, right? Um, Caucasians have increasingly voted for the Republican Party, particularly older white males, okay? But we know this, older white males, okay, um, their life expectancy is not as high as one women generally, okay? Um, but that's a shrinking percentage of the population. Right. So 
demographically, the Republican Party would seem to be at a deficit. On the other hand, as we've also mentioned in other podcast episodes, you got to be careful about making generalizations about demographic groups, okay? Because as we saw in the 2020 presidential election, um, uh, Donald Trump actually did uh, far better um, in 2020 than he did in 2016, or Mitt Romney did in 2012, or John McCain did in 2008 in regards to Hispanic voters, particularly Hispanic Hispanic male voters. Hispanic voters who tend to be Catholic and who tend to be conservative. That's right. Just something to keep in mind. Particularly on social issues. Right. Okay. So not as simple as making assumptions about about groups. And and we also know, and we're probably going to get into this probably later on in the year, once we see uh, the the next wave of census reports, um, within broad demographic categories like race or gender, okay, there are subgroups. So for instance, Nia, you and I have talked about, for instance, Asian Americans, okay? Um, That category is imprecise. <laughs> okay, according That's to scholars, it. yeah, according to scholars, okay, uh, when you go ahead and use a category like Asian American, you need to break it down into subcategories. You know, when you go ahead and talk about women, okay, you need to break it down into subcategories, right? And you may even have to do it regionally because there are women voters in some parts of the country that are more liberal than the Democratic Party or they're more conservative than the Republican Party. Right. Okay. Okay. Right. No group is a monolith. Yeah, right. It's basically what what you should um, you should take away from that. Uh, so I know that to get to the heart of what we of, of where this takes us politically. So first of all, it takes us to the parties not being certain about their futures because the numbers are all kind of wonky and up in the air, right? Like um, I, I noticed in your notes that you said Texas, Florida, and Arizona came in with lower population numbers than were expected. And that may mean that Hispanics were undercounted yeah, we don't know that yet because we haven't gotten that kind of precise right. uh, uh, data information. But, but, it also, the, <clears throat> oh, sorry. but it also may have been affected by immigration. That's right. Right, immigration to those areas where you get, and uh, and California would be part of that too as well, where you get farming, where you get other um immigrants who are coming into work and they are adding into the economic prosperity of of the nation because while they are here they pay taxes they do all that sort of thing but they're hard but they're hard to count right right? right. and and that's part of the difficulty here right i mean nia you went ahead and you know joked early on in this episode you know why doesn't the census bureau round up well one of the chief debates is Okay, should the Census Bureau use statistical modeling to estimate, right? Because we do know, for instance, in certain months in the 
agricultural part of California, the immigrant population swells. Right. We know this, right? On the other hand, we're, by the way, we're talking about legal immigration. We're not talking about yes. illegal immigration, which also swells, but they'll never be able to count illegal immigration because. Yeah, right. Okay. That's a, also, a whole different can of worms. But we also don't know necessarily <laughs> what is the, the impact of, for instance, the Obama administration, okay, uh, deportation program. Or we don't know the extent to which the Trump administration's uh, you know, uh, border wall, um, travel banned, okay, and, and, and other policy initiatives impacted, if you will, even legal immigration. Well, we and do, then we can't even get into the pandemic and its effect on, yeah, on because, borders around the world not being open to anything. Yeah, because the, the census folks even put caveats in their first report about the impact of the pandemic. Yeah, this most, is gonna be 2020 asterisk. That's how this most, census is gonna be reported forever. Most of the counting for the 2020 census, Nia, occurred before the greatest impacts of the pandemic. But the cleanup, which is, is the, the follow-up and the end people who are coming along saying, Yes. Uh, we noticed that we didn't find you in the census data. Could you please fill out your form? That was affected by by the pandemic. By the pandemic. Okay. And we know that a whole bunch of Americans, at least anecdotally, moved during the pandemic. Oh, that's true. All right. I'm going so, to live with my parents. I'm going to live with friends. I'm 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 getting I'm I'm getting out of states that are restricting my liberty. Right. Or you know, so I'm going we, to states that are restricting people's liberty because yeah, right. I, I mean, like that we, sort of thing. Right. Yeah. We, yeah. So we don't know that. Right. And that's one of the huge caveats. We do know this. OK, there are certain trends. OK, that were reaffirmed with the 2020 overall census data. Right. So some parts of the country are continuing to add people. The South in the West, once again, grew the fastest in this past decade. And that's continuing a trend that we saw in the latter part of the 20th century. People are moving to the South into the West. Is that because manufacturing has moved? Or is well, many, that because there is less manufacturing in the United States and so other? Well, in terms of manufacturing jobs, while manufacturing jobs have remained in the United States, they tend to be in the South and West, but most of those jobs have already left the country. Let's okay. be very clear, right? A lot of it has to do with the fact of other economic opportunities, okay, or certain, if you will, preferences in regards, we do, I would be shocked in future census reports if many Americans did not report the fact that they moved uh, for political reasons. Um. We know this, right? Okay. Um, people who are Democrats are tending to move to urban cities on the coast. Right? Okay. Okay. Republicans are moving to the South and to the West. 
So if you're the Republican Party, you're like, woohoo, okay, th this might be a good thing, okay? On the other hand, okay, Democrats are, if you will, congregating in urban areas, which actually kind of sort of minimizes their vote numbers, right? Right. Because if you got a whole bunch of people living in, for instance, um, you know, Oregon, and they're not in surrounding states, well, those surrounding states are overwhelmingly Republican, okay, and you're basically only going to control the, the politics within the state of Oregon. And as we've noted, the Senate is two each. That's right. So yep. <clears throat> the more states that are of one political group or the other, the more likely they will have control of the Senate. And while, while it seems like picking on the, on the House to say, so what, who cares? Um, I'm not saying so what, who cares, but I am saying it's less, policy is driven less in the House than it is in the Senate. Yeah, I mean, the Senate is anti-majoritarian, okay? I mean, let's 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 do let's do a statistical hypothetical. Let's say fifty-five percent of the American population is, uh, supports the Democratic Party or leans towards the Democratic Party, but those people are overwhelmingly populated in, in just states. a handful a handful <laughs> of states, right? Right. Okay. In Ten states. That's twenty of them. Yes. Out of a hundred. That's right. So while they, their population may be, what is our number, 331? Let's even say that they are 150, right? That they're, yeah. that they're a yep. huge number. If they're spread in only 10 states, California, New York, um, Colorado, Pennsylvania, or, Virginia. Oregon, right? like, Washington, okay. Right? And every other state is Republican. 40 other states are Republican. The numbers don't look so good for, so you could have a majority of the population identify as one party, but because of the spread, they could still be the minority. In the Senate. In the Senate, which is largely the decision-making body. Because all, okay, just as a side note, all kinds of crazy stuff makes it out of the house. Sure. Like, the, the, you know, it would not surprise me if a House bill came out that was like, we are banning all cats from the United States and people can <laughs> only be dog owners, right? And it would get to the Senate and it would go to the cat committee and it would die in the Senate because the Senate would say, we're not even going to take that up. That's crazy talk, right? Or whatever. Sure. I mean, it, 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 and again, this gets, and, 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 our, and I remind students of this all the time. The Senate was designed to be a check on the people's representatives in the House. Right, a slow deliberative body, hence why they are six years in service rather year than terms. two That's right. years. Because yeah. two years leads you to populism. You, you again, you go away. I want somebody new and fresh and fabulous. Hence why we have such turnover in the House and less turnover, although there are people who've been in the house a thousand years too. So yeah, but they're, they're always hold. Yeah, but their districts have been so, you know, so gerrymandered. Okay. Right. So let's get to gerrymandering. First of all, is it not Gary? No, and we're mispronouncing it. No, no, no. But the guy was 
Eldridge Gary, but right. it's pronounced gerrymandering. <laughs> yep. And so, so Mr. Gary, right, he was says a, he was a know. governor up. He was a governor up in Massachusetts. Okay, okay? so he says we're going to take the population and we're going to make these wonky shaped districts. Yeah, so gerrymandering is the combination of Eldridge Gary and salamander. The shape of a salamander. Oh, I didn't realize that's where the mander comes from. Yes, gerrymandering comes from the combination of th those two words. Okay. Because when Gary was the governor of Massachusetts in an attempt to go ahead and protect his political party, uh, and he was a Democrat, um, he helped the Massachusetts state legislature draw up a couple voting districts that looked like salamanders. And <laughs> in, in the press in Massachusetts went ahead and coined the phrase, okay, that looks like a salamander. It's gerrymandering. And that's the phrase. Okay. And both parties do it. Oh, yes. Whatever oh party goodness. is in charge when the census comes out. It's gerrymanders whatever. the snot out of their out of their state yes right? okay and, and it's again whatever political party is in charge of the states redict is in charge of the state's redistricting process after the census so right now we have 50 states that are about ready to do the redistricting process how many of those states are republican controlled at this time um uh where both houses of the state legislature and the governor's office is republican 30 out of 50. so likely this time this go round, democrats will be quashed into salamander shaped districts be, and then so that Republicans will have a better chance of winning other districts where they are more competitive, right? Because that's, right. that's the theory with redistricting is that what you're doing is you're creating safe districts. And then where you can't create a safe district, you create a district that's so politically wonky that it could go either way and then you pour money into it to win it. Yeah, in, in both political parties want to minimize the latter and emphasize the former. Right. Right. They want as many safe districts as they can make. Yeah. And, and they're quite willing to go ahead and give the opposition party, the party not in control of redistricting, you know, two or three safe districts. Why? Because you've gone ahead and packed a whole bunch of those parties' voters into only two or three districts. Well, maximizing your opportunity to go ahead and control a majority of the districts in the House of Representatives, right? right. So, so 40, new, out of, oops, sorry. 40 out of the 50 states, okay, have a, a political redistricting. It's controlled by the politicians. Roughly 10 out of 50 have quote unquote, Nonpartisan commissions or nonpartisan processes, right? So, in those 40 states, whatever political party controls the redistricting process, okay, will attempt to go ahead and minimize, okay, 
how many safe seats there are for the non-majority party. Right. Okay. And this is where the census numbers come into play, Mia. Okay. Because according to the 2020 population count, seven House of Representatives seats will shift among 13 states. One state gains two seats, Texas. And by the way, Republicans control both house, both, both of the state houses and the governor's position in Texas. Okay. No so, question those are going to be Republican. Oh yeah. I, I would be shocked. Even okay. though three quarters of California's wealthy population has moved to Texas in the last two years because of tax issues, I don't still don't think it's going to make a difference. No, it's not going to make a difference. Five seat, five states will gain one seat. Colorado, which increasingly is a Democratic state. Florida, which is in the last two sets of elections, been by and large Republican. Okay. It's probably, shall we say, a dark purple state. Okay. Bordering on red. Okay. Montana, Republican. North Carolina, purple state. Okay. And Oregon, a Democratic state. Can I just side note? You just said Montana. Yes. Montana has a second seat for the first time ever in its history as a state. That's right. It's got yep. enough people to yep. have a second seat. That's very exciting for a state that is ginormous. Yes, in um, terms of, 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 of square miles, it is one of our larger <laughs> states. In terms of population, it finally is now, okay, graduated to the big kids table. That's right. <laughs> it now has two, two seats. Okay, it's not at the adult table yet. And by the way, no, no, it's at the teenage table. Yeah, and we love Montana. Yeah, listeners, I'm making reference to uh, what Nia and, and many and I, uh, many of us have experienced um, in regards to holiday meals, which yeah. is, you know, so many people would be in a particularly fa particular family member's house that the small kids would be at one table, the big kids would be at another table, and then you add the adult table. Right. right? Okay. Montana now <clears throat> has a seat at the big kids table. Yep. Right? Which is okay. very exciting for them. They were, yes. and they pushed hard for the census this year. You know why? Because the more people you have representing you in Congress, the more you can get stuff for your state. And, and, and we're going to get to that. The we're entire get point. To yeah, we're going to get to that in just a moment. Okay. Seven states lost one seat. California, Illinois, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. And six of which are Democratic, right? Uh, yes. And six of them, every all those states except for California, are what's known as Rust Belt states. They are. Oh, yeah. I was just looking are, at West Virginia as a Republican, but you're right. The others are. Rust Belt states. They okay. are. Northeast. People moved out because there's no jobs. There's no. That's right. right. Okay. Okay. Now, most of the states losing seats are Democrats. I mean, think about it. California, Illinois, New York, Pennsylvania. Okay. Michigan Typically, and Ohio are purple, aren't they? Ohio is increasingly gone Republican. Michigan ah. is definitely purple. 
Pennsylvania, I mean, with the exception of 2016, okay, I mean, it's a confusing state because the state legislature, both houses are controlled by Republicans, but all the statewide positions are controlled by Democrats. <laughs> well, governor, Lieutenant Governor, the Attorney General, the Secretary of State. Yes. North Carolina uh, does that pretty often, except in the reverse. Yes. The state officials are often Republican, but they but then they go for Democrats for president. It's an odd um, yep. way to go about things. Okay, so. So most of the states so, gaining so, are Republican. Okay. okay. Couple that with what you mentioned previously, partisan gerrymandering. If you're a member of the Democratic Party, you should probably not feel all that comfortable about retaining control of the House of Representatives after 2022. Now, and here's some another reason. Of those some of those seats for the Democrats will still be safe. Sure. Because some people, even in Republican states, their city is so yes. democratic that their yeah. that their district is going to still their district will remain and they will remain. Yeah, but I mean, that could mean though that the districts around them change. Yeah, I mean, think about this: if you are, if you represent the city of Philadelphia in the House of Representatives, you're probably safe as a Democrat. Yeah, you're safe as a Democrat. However, a couple of the suburbs, if you're a Democrat, don't be shocked if your district all of a sudden has an infusion of Republican voters. <laughs> okay. And again, both parties do this when they are in charge. Oh my goodness, yes. Right? The, the brilliant thing here is that Republicans played the long game. They've been working on the state legislatures for yes. the last 10, 15 years just to to move those into the republican category because that was the way to change the federal the, the congress yeah the congress right was to slowly slowly move those states into republican leaning states even if they're not super republican right even if they're only mildly republican it doesn't matter because right now that's what's being decided and whoever's in charge gets to draw the map except that won't we then almost immediately have lots of people trying to take that to court and oh sure fighting that up to the supreme court about this wasn't fair and it was done yeah but i mean because of a, okay but there there are two points here one when you win control of the state legislature becomes important in regards to redistricting you know if you're a political party you want to have control of the state legislature the year the census results are released. Right. <laughs> Not the year before or the year after because that might change things. Yeah. Right. The second point here is there will be plenty of federal court lawsuits, but because of the uh, Supreme Court ruling in the North Carolina case, okay, where basically uh, a narrow majority of the Supreme Court a couple years ago held that partisan gerrymandering is not unconstitutional. It's now a state issue. So unless oh. your state gets rid of partisan gerrymandering. Um, it stands. Yeah, the Supreme Court is not going to go ahead and weigh in on this. 
Okay. They said they said it was a political question, right? So I mean, you know, here in Virginia, we saw this Nia uh, last year. Uh, redistricting, okay, uh, was shifted from the state legislature to a quote-unquote nonpartisan commission, which promptly hired partisan lawyers. Yes, and. <laughs> And, 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 and you know who's most upset right now that the process has changed? The Democrats, because they now have control of both houses of the state legislature. So they're right. like, hey, wait a minute here. We could have done, right. We could yeah, have done have what to... the Republicans did in the state legislature in 2011. Yeah, okay? the thing is, and I know it's a game played by both sides, but... It just seems patently unfair when anybody plays it. It just doesn't seem like it. It seems like the people who get screwed are the voters, that well, they get and, to and pick that, voters rather than voters picking them. That's, and that's, that's the, doesn't seem like it's how it should be. And that is the common critique of, ger of partisan gerrymandering. It looks like the elected officials are picking who their voters will be instead of the converse which is what we hope or think democracy should be. Right. The voters get to pick their elected representatives, right? Now, here's a couple of interesting things here, okay? For, for those of you who uh, like to know which ones are the largest states and which ones are the smallest states. Wait, this side is, note. Yeah. You can't have, there's no maximum. Well, I guess there's 435 if you decided to take over all the other states, but at that point you have a war. Um, there's no maximum for a state, right? But there are minimums. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the smallest states, okay, and they only have one representative in the house are Alaska, Delaware, the two Dakotas, Vermont, and Wyoming. All, except Delaware, all really big states. Yeah. Uh, I in mean, terms physically of, big, size-wise. Yeah, yeah, in terms of square miles, yeah. Like, can you imagine being the Alaska representative? <laughs> so you show up in Barrow and you say, I'll see y'all in three years. I got to go visit everybody else. Like, your town halls must be terrible. I mean... Think about your home style. Uh, political science scientist Richard Fenno uh, wrote a well-known book about um, uh, House of Representatives. Um, basically, they have a, they have a style of governing when they go back home to meet constituents versus their style of governing when they're in D.C. But imagine your home style in a state like Alaska or Wyoming, right, where you're like. You know, you just mentioned town halls, okay? You know, you might have to travel 350 miles just to go ahead and do a town hall with eight people. Right. Right? <laughs> and you have to act like that's okay. Yeah, I mean, hey, this you, is a You have to be a marvelous actor. Yeah. You have to be a marvelous actor. I, The Alaska representative in the House of Representatives, that person should get an Oscar. <laughs> because they show up and they're like hey i love whale blubber let's hang out for four hours in the complete darkness but, and, but, you but know think what, about that, it. 
That's but all. But think about if you're a representative in. I just hit large... every stereotype. Sorry, folks. Yeah, that's all right. I didn't mean that. It's. I mean it in a good way. The other thing, though, is that in a state like that with a really low population, relatively low population, boy, do you know what people think? Because they are going to let you know. Oh, like sure. Like if your your stick your constituent services. You could probably actually handle getting an email from every single person that lives in Alaska. Yeah, I mean, you know what and, I mean. Like you would know when people and, and you when get people to know like them. something or don't like something. You would yes. know. It. That would and be you, really cool in a lot of ways. I mean, and you get to know them on a personal level that you probably don't get to. You know, if you're a representative from, you know, um, you know, uh, the Bronx, New York, right? I mean, you're not you're not going to get to know your constituents as well, even though it's a more densely populated area, right? Right. Speaking of which, the four largest states, no big change, even though a couple, uh, uh, one of uh, two of them lost uh, um, a population: California, Texas, Florida, and New York. Okay, those are the four largest states. Uh, by the way. And I and, and I know Nia Edge states. Yes. <laughs> it's like it's like centrifugal force. Yes. Right? Yep. All our people go out to the edge. <laughs> yep. Okay. And that's why by the by the way, in my students, you know, were are like, you know, they, they'll look at a map, an electoral college map after a presidential election. And most of the map is red and i'm like but remember guys okay okay rural states states with large rural populations generally tend to vote republican okay but a whole bunch of democratic voters okay in the last roughly 20 to 30 years are congregating in a few densely populated states right yeah and when you do the presidential election you're doing it a one-to-one -one vote it doesn't actually like what we've been talking about is is congressional representation yes but it doesn't really matter where democrats and republicans live in the united states as far as the presidential election is concerned because that's an individual that's an individual a vote and until you get into the the electoral college math right math right and, and again each state's electoral college number is based on their number of house of representatives plus two their senators right right so again for most presidential party candidates okay you want to get to 270 right so think about the four largest states two of them are reliably democrat new york and california right right so so starting on election night the assumption is that the democratic candidate will candidate. win california and new york so yes. they always put those electoral numbers in that pile to start with yes because they're like it would be it would be like something hitting the earth from outer space for that to change and they always put texas in the Republican, well, always meaning in my adult lifetime, but that's not been forever. I know you and Bill keep trying to teach me that. Um, no, but since Lyndon Johnson. Right. Texas goes into the 
Republican category. And it just automatically goes in there. They just assume Texas is going to be Republican. And then Florida is always Florida man. And nobody can ever figure out what it's going to do. So yeah. it gets it gets weighted till the end of the night. Like Florida doesn't. Yeah, for a lot of reasons. You know, Floridians have, a, you know, have trouble voting. Okay. <laughs> There's uh, all kinds of issues. In you know, for, you know uh, jurisdictions in Florida have a hard time counting votes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and, you know, in the Florida Supreme Court, occasionally likes to make stuff up as it goes along. Right. <laughs> and then the federal courts have to get involved. Right. But I have a question for you, a theoretical question for you. Yeah. So John Augenbaugh runs for president. Yeah. And he's so beloved by, by political science students everywhere that he actually wins California, Texas, Florida, and New York. Yeah. And a comet does not hit the earth. Okay. Yes. That's not enough by itself, but it's pretty dang close, isn't it? Like, yeah, I mean, because uh, what you're basically what you're basically talking about is, um, and I'm going to do the quick math here right now. Electoral is in Joe Manchin's world. Technically, Florida should go with Texas, so that you have New York and California and Florida and Texas, and you basically take all four of those states out of the running, and now it becomes an issue of the other of the other states but if you could win those four states would it matter if anybody voted anywhere else okay so florida in 2020 had 29 new york had 29 so correct my math that's 58 right uh california had 55 so that's 103 right right is that 103 yes oh wow how about that um and then you have texas no that's 113 you and i can't 100, add that's okay, 113. 113 texas has 38 so that's 151 right and yep. you need to get you need to get to 270. Okay? okay, so you'd still have to pick up a few other states. Yeah, but again, I mean, well, let's just put it this way. But 151, you, you're more than halfway there. Yeah, you're more than halfway there, right? And then if you went ahead and picked up uh, North Carolina and Virginia, okay, North Carolina's got 15 and Virginia's got 13, okay, that's 28 more, right? You pick up a couple Rust Belt states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio. <laughs> so part of the part of what goes on with this argument is that in districting, or rather in dividing up the United States, that you want to make sure that all the states count like all the states are important to electing electing the president otherwise the president can say i don't care about montana it's got three people i don't care i don't care about their electoral votes and they never go to montana and that in fact does happen to the smaller states 
right? A lot of presidents don't go to all 50 states because uh, wasn't a big thing about Obama was that he had a 50 state strategy. Yeah, strategy. I, and, and, and I've actually said that to students who want to get rid of the Electoral College. I'm like, OK, right now with the Electoral College, most presidential candidates never vote, never visit the Dakotas. They don't go to Wyoming. They hardly ever go to Rhode Island or Delaware. Okay. Montana. They don't go to Alaska. Uh, Maine. Okay. They, they might just don't make go it there. out to Hawaii, but probably not. Okay. But I said, let's let's say you go by popular vote. The candidate who wins a majority of the popular vote becomes president. You get rid of the electoral college. The incentive is still for presidential candidates to go to states that have what? Illinois, because it's got Chicago, Colorado, because it's got Denver, yes. Texas, California, Florida, New York, New York, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, because you, you, you got Philadelphia, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, right? Okay. Um, Massachusetts, because you got Boston. That's right. Okay. But again, look, look and at the number. And that probably does it for you. Like, yeah, look, look at the number of states you've counted. Roughly the same number of states. And most presidential candidates uh, visit um, because of the electoral college math. Right. Right. So you're not doing anything by getting rid of the electoral. If what you're mad about is how presidents are elected, the, the electoral college is not the problem. No. I mean, the larger, the larger problem is a whole bunch of your people are either congregating in a few large states, okay, or they're or they've congregated in particular regions of the country. Right. What you need to have is an invasion strategy (laughs) where you send your people out and because it's the census, you have them make babies (laughs) in various states, in various rural areas, and you shift. I don't know. That'd be an interesting strategy, but I, I don't think I'm Machiavellian enough to pull that off. Well, I mean, and it's funny you went, in, went in and said that making babies is a, is a, a potential campaign you know, strategy. <laughs> um, I once got in trouble um, uh, uh, teaching uh, intro to U.S. government when we got to the issue of um, Social Security, right? Ah. Um, Social Security is one of those... Uh, 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 social welfare programs, safety net programs, okay, that's predicated on, as you described at the onset of this podcast. Having way, enough population to cover but the particularly expenses. Workers, right? right? You because, need people from their 20s to their 50s to cover your olds. Yeah, because basically right now it takes two and a half full-time workers paying into Social Security to cover one person on Social Security, right? Right. So you want to keep that first number, that first poll, as robust as possible unless you make structural changes to Social Security. So one of my students who was like 18 years old and quickly did the math, he's just like, so Social Security as we know it today, won't be around for my generation. I'm like, probably not. And he goes, so what's the solution? And I went ahead and jokingly <laughs> quipped, you all need to start making a whole bunch of babies. 
which which got reported to the university. Of course, it did. Okay, <laughs> as Professor Augenbaugh is advocating um, unsafe sex, and I was uh, just like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what I was advocating. What I was <laughs> what I was responding to was the fact that we have a demographic problem with many of our okay entitlement programs in this country. Right. Okay. And increasingly in partisanship in the Congress. If you thought partisanship was going to be bad before, wait until after the redistricting that's about to happen. It's only going to get worse until we figure out a different system. That's right. Okay. Isn't going to work and it's going to keep dividing us. It's not because we're divided as a nation. It's because of the way we divide ourselves up. Yes. It's, it's sheer... I mean, it, where it, you it, live and tribalism and that kind of thing that's causing the partisan. So when people say, I don't know why the Congress is so partisan, I, I can tell you why they're so partisan, because we as a nation have allowed gerrymandering to flourish from both sides in a way that has made it impossible for there to be bipartisanship. And think about how we continue to reward for, for the the message, messages or the incentives, Neo, that we send to our politicians, right? Right. You know, we elect or pick people who have no interest in getting rid of partisan gerrymandering. Right. Okay. Right. Um, you know, um, we vote out of office those elected representatives who are willing to compromise. Right. Right. Okay. Um, so and we we accept the way these things are being done in our yeah, because yeah because we think about think about it in terms of short term gain right. right okay um, you know I don't want to get I, I don't want to get rid of partisan gerrymandering if right it now helps my, me. yeah if right now my party has control of the redistricting process right. right. I don't want to get rid of uh, of uh, the electoral college if it benefits my party. Oh, my party got screwed. Now I want to get rid of electoral college. Well, yeah. that doesn't seem to be a principled argument. Exactly. Okay? That that's an argument that losers make. Okay? Exactly. I mean, the reason why we lost is because the rules of the game are rigged. So I want to change the game. How about this? You lost because you picked a candidate. Okay who didn't connect with a whole bunch of voters. Well, and, or alternatively, yeah, it's rigged. So, so throw away this game and get a game that's not rigged. And, and are you that's willing- That's the to, other way. Are you willing, are you willing to, to suffer to accept, what that consequence means? Yeah, are you willing to go ahead and accept the trade-offs if you make the changes? Right. Because these, these changes don't occur in a vacuum. Exactly. Okay. But okay, but before we go, I want you to I want you to to tell people how close it was. Okay. The photo finish. You know when you bet a lot of money on a horse and that horse doesn't actually get their nose across the line first, how you feel? Imagine how you feel if you're New York. Yes. For, for people who want to know why it's important that they fill out the, the census form, <laughs> 
do not turn away the census enumerator, okay? In the state of New York. State of New York. State. Not any of the districts or boroughs, the state, state. of New York. Which, by the way, remember, folks, me and I just listed the four largest states. Right. It's okay. Third. Okay. Third or fourth. Yeah. Okay. In the state of New York, New York lost a seat in the House of Representatives by 89 people. How many 80... people How many people take your 103 class every fall? Uh, on average, about 200 people. Okay. <laughs> so two times, I mean, really, two That's times it. that number take... That's one of three every fall or how about this 89 people like you know you know that governor cuomo was like you have got to be kidding me like he could have gone out and just found 89 people who probably didn't fill out their census for 80 well 90 people because you'd want a one person margin but 89 or, people for an entire state or, or think about how, you know, you avoid a really bad automobile accident by, you know, seconds right. or, or by like 20 or 25 feet. Yeah. That's Minnesota. Minnesota, okay, held on to a seat in the House of Representatives by 26 people. 26, okay? That's like the average number of people who show up for one of my upper level, upper level classes, right? <laughs> thank y'all for showing up and thank you for filling out your census form. We I mean, managed to hold on to a to an entire people. district. We held on to an entire representative if, in the Congress. 20, because 26 of you before you went to bed, okay. Filled out the form. Filled out the form. You couldn't Which find just any. just tells you. See, I'm thinking that tells you something about people from Minnesota and people from New York. <laughs> right? People from Minnesota, sort of Midwest. Yes, we just do what we're asked to do because we're, you know, we're Midwestern and that's what we do. Yeah. Right? And and yeah. you're so like, We what? fulfill no, our I'm, obligations. I'm walking over here. I'm not filling out your stupid census form. I'm from New York. Yeah. Wow. 26 people before they, you know, went to bed at night, they were ch channel surfing <laughs> on the TV, they couldn't find anything to go ahead and occupy, you know, their last remaining 15, 20 minutes before they went nighty night. Okay, we're like, ah, oh, hell, let's just, you know, George, let's fill out the census form. Well, okay, honey. <laughs> right. And there you go. <laughs> <sighs> Bu bullet dodged. Okay, uh, Nia, real quick question before we conclude. Now, when you filled out the census, did you fill it out online uh, this year or last yes. year? Yep. Yeah, I did. That was cool. I, that was the first time I, I, I did it online. I It was the first time I did it online too. And I, thought, and I thought, well, this is super easy. Why don't more people do this? Which I'm sure, again, is what Governor Cuomo thought in New York. Why did yeah. 89 more people do this? But... Um, but I also, it wasn't very long. Like it didn't have no. a huge number of questions. And I remember back when they used to send you the really big one and my parents would sit down like they were doing taxes. I mean, it was this big, long involved, yeah. 
But I come from a long line of people who believe in doing the census because I come from a long line of people who also do genealogy. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of genealogy work is wrapped up in the census in a variety of ways. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> as those names get released. But yeah, it was really cool to do it online. And I'm looking forward to doing the, the interim ones now that I think that now that they've worked out the bugs, there'll be more of those. Yeah, and people the, will have the, more of an opportunity to to... Yeah, listeners, it, it, it was so easy. Um, I mean, uh, I remember I got up one morning, I was having, you know, a cup of coffee, um, and uh, I clicked on the link, um, and I started filling it out. Um, and I know some folks uh, are, are concerned about uh, internet security, but um, I had, uh, it, it, it was very easy to do, and I felt it was a very secure process. So, um, uh, I Suggest thought that was to those people, by the way, who are worried about internet security, that maybe they want to stop carrying around a phone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, if if you're really worried about security, <laughs> announcing to Google where you are every 10 seconds is probably not helpful to your to your privacy. I'm or, just putting it out there. You can do what you want to do, listeners. We appreciate freedoms of all sort. Well, but I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of sort of like- Your argument loses a lot of water when you say, when you when you shake your, your smartphone at me and say, the, the government listens in. I'm like, well, because you told them to. You're carrying that thing around with you all the time. Or, or you make it really easy because, you know, four or five times a day you go ahead and post on social media oh, please. where you where 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 you are and what you're doing and with right. whom you are doing it exactly <laughs> this is the money i stole from my neighbor this is me wearing his t-shirt you know yeah okay well you don't get to be surprised that you got caught sorry <laughs> anyway. I, I also think you know the census has a lot of the census is a lot it, it's important for us to think about it in terms of a common good and, well, I mean, and to talking... do as much as we can because it is a common good and because the information that we get from it is so valuable we we understand demographic change in the united states we we can answer a lot of questions about ourselves by looking at census data well beyond the political questions of gerrymandering and everything else but, but and, and i'm glad you mentioned this and and, and um and as a concluding uh, point for um this podcast episode another reason why the census is important is that so much of what the federal government allocates i mean nia you just mentioned collective good but so many of the government programs that allocate money for essential stuff like Head Start programs, welfare benefits, right? Medicare, Medicaid, okay? Roads, bridges. Is, is, is based on a state's population. Right. Right? Um, there are formulas for these programs, okay, that are driven by a state's population Okay, and what we report as Americans, right? You know, what we report about ourselves, okay? And yes, I can understand your concern that the government knows this, knows that about, you know, you, but, you know, the next time you complain 
that you don't derive any benefits from the government, remember, a simple thing, simple in air quotes, a simple thing like counting how many people live in a state or a district affects how much the, the government allocates, okay, in terms of public goods. Right, okay? you have to budget in some way and that's the way we budget. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, how would they know how much money to give a state? Oh, well, let me give you a couple million. Let's see how far that goes. Like, that's not how, that's not a reasonable way to budget. That's not the way you would budget as a person spending your own budget. You don't, yeah. you don't say, you do not assume that you are going to feed your teenage child as much as you feed your infant. Yes. I mean, sorry, the you know, reverse, the reverse. No, but wait, you're going to feed but, your teenage kid a lot more than you're going to feed your infant, unless your infant is also a hippo. Okay, so, I, I mean, it's like when, you know, I go to the grocery store with my daughter. I don't buy groceries assuming that four people are at the, the right. you know, the, the dining room table. Okay. Because I have an accurate, accurate account of how many people are in my household <laughs> exactly. and, who, and who we are. I know how much food to buy at the grocery store. Right. Okay. Right. If you're going to get cheeseburgers, I mean, you know, if you're going to make cheeseburgers, you're going to make two for you and one for her because that's, that's the reasonable amount. That's what she's going to eat. And that's what you're going to eat. Yeah. But if you had, if you were like, guests might be coming and I don't know how many, do you then, buy a hundred burgers? Do you buy 20 burgers? Do you? Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, it, 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 and that's why the, and then if you're just even remotely curious, right? I mean, the thing that you and I share is that the census reports that get issued, okay, are, are a, a, a curiosity, you know, a person with a healthy curiosity, I mean, they're like manna from heaven, oh. right? I mean, they, these are full meals, right? Well, you, and almost every dissertation at some point or another ends up using the census. Sure for something, yes. right? Like yes. just the sheer demographic knowledge of who we are and what we do and what what means American. Yeah, and how are we changing? And, you know, uh, it, it's just fascinating stuff, okay? So um, I know Nia's already said this, but if you get a chance, um, you, know, uh, you know, browse through it. Um, it's got some fascinating stuff in there. I mean, let's face it, guys. We're concluding the podcast episode by talking about how New York lost a seat in the House of Representatives by 89 people. 89 yeah. people. That that's so painful. That's such a I mean, considering the number of people who live in New York, that's yes. like 0.0001% or something. <laughs> it's some terribly tiny amount that could have pushed them over the top and kept and kept representation. Yep. Um so we appreciate you sticking with us for the length of this episode and we will be back in the fall for more census information once we have more of the release yep sounds good thanks bye nia bye augie you've been listening to civil discourse Brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at 
guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.